was everyone? What did I miss? It is the final episode of 2024 Troublesome Tops, the podcast about topics that keep interpreters up at night. And oh boy, what a year it has been. The longest year ever in history ever recorded. We don't know, <laughs> but we will dissect every little day. Um, that's what we're going to do today. Um, it has been a year of big changes for interpreting. But as I said, we'll get to that. First off, let's welcome the other hosts. And we are complete tonight, I can tell you. But first of all, hello to Edinburgh. Jonathan, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well. It's been a bit of a fun day and work is busier than ever, which is a good thing. Talking about a man who's always busy working, it's fantastic to have him with us again, Alexander Gansmeyer. So glad I could make the time. Whoop. Truly, truly. It's an honor. You know, it's an honor just to be here. It's an honor just to be nominated, but uh, I'm not even nominated, so I don't even know. It was so saying. difficult to get past your secretary. You know, I told Lovely. her to just turn Lovely. down all the calls, uh, just, you know, out of office permanently. But it was then, the bodyguards the bodyguards that scared me. Ah, uh, yeah. It wasn't the singing. I told them to stop singing, you know, the bodyguard soundtrack, but they just wouldn't. So anyways, um, and, you know, talking about singing lovely songs with lovely voices, let's talk about Sarah Hickey, because she's also here and she has a most lovely voice. Oh, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> I don't have a lovely singing voice, though, but I, but I do sing. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, just you do sing, yep. and you have your own musician in the house for yes, for sure. True. Yeah. And I sing yeah. to him sometimes if he wants to or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> I have a professional who has to hear my my right. voice. <laughs> so so there, there was a uh, running joke in our house that two of our children loved me to sing them to sleep, and the running joke was it's so they could get to sleep quickly, so they wouldn't have to hear me sing anymore. It's going to be my uh, approach too. Yeah, I love yeah. that. As long as it works, you know. Yeah, whatever does the job, right? Exactly. And speaking exactly. about doing the job, we actually did a lot this year. So this year, not Segways only... Segways from hell. <laughs> did Well, but it was a good segue since we're announcing them. Um, but, uh, you know, this year a lot happened, not just uh, things, the unspeakable things that we shall speak of, but also lots of great episodes, lots of changes, as Alex was saying in the intro. And I think one of the biggest things technically happened in December of 2019, but since we're going a year back from the last year in review... We figured it kind of still counts. And one of the biggest things was Sarah joining the panel as a permanent host. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Fireworks, champagne, applause. <laughs> yes. It was a, a small step towards um, more gender representation. I'm not going to say gender parody. but uh, Well, at least we're fulfilling the, the German gender quota 25%. I tried to, you know, you know get way ahead as of much time. as I can to make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So if there's a German gender quota, is that just like a German quota? Because we're way over our German quota. Yeah. Way over the quota. Yeah, whatever the quota <laughs> is, we're, we're way over it. <laughs> this is a very German podcast. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, Too funny. exactly. You know, that actually could be a really cool thing. We could do an episode in like French, one in German, one in whatever, and then have somebody interpret them and do like a little competition. Like whoever interprets the episode best. <laughs> like you a... Uh, who, has, who has the objectively best interpretation? <laughs> An interpreting battle. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I think translators do translation slams, right? So we could do, a, yeah, we could do an exactly. interpreting slam. Yeah, totally. then we have an interpreter for you as well, Jonathan. Yeah. That goes straight onto the bucket list, that one. <laughs> Noted for next year. What kind of bucket are we talking about? Because there are lots. <laughs> it's a very big bucket. Anyway, uh, Jonathan, since we were speaking about you, uh, at least the two of us had the chance to get together in person this year. Elbow which <laughs> which was This was before we did Elbow Bumps, uh, I think. Uh, no, just no on the... you, you refused to hug me, going uh, saying goodbye and making an elbow bump. And I elbow bumped everyone in the university. Yeah, I left the day before Brussels went into first lockdown. I was mm. very glad that I got out then. But that was fantastic in, uh, in Leuven, just some really on it students. And I think that is, I've done some crazy stunts and talks before, but that's the first time that I've almost failed blowing up a balloon in public. <laughs> yes. So that was, tell us a little bit about that. That was a lesson at the Leuven University. So sh shout out to Demi uh, Cristalido. Who's now in Surrey. De oh, Demi yeah, true. Sorry. Um, yeah, De Demi sent me an invite and I was talking there about, I was 
supposed to be talking about something really technical because I brought out a paper on interpreter invisibility, which is totally not a controversial subject. And Demi had been using it with her class and she said, well, would you like to come and lecture on it? Which was great fun. So I lectured on interpreter invisibility using a balloon, a piece of string, and <laughs> I was I there to what witness. my other prop was. Yeah. And Alex I was there to witness. We have photographic evidence, though. Do we? I haven't yeah, seen I, any I took a couple of photos. They, they need to come out. Um, <laughs> but the problem is, is I realised that if you tape the balloon to the piece of string before you blow it up, it's really hard to blow it up. So I got like really <laughs> red. I look like a hamster. <laughs> yes. In, in fact, no, I look like a hamster that had just run a marathon. <laughs> you did um, struggle a bit, yes. I, I did struggle a little bit. So future version, I did a, a version of that talk for Surrey University actually recently, and it didn't have the balloon in it because I have learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, well, and in, in other troublesome news, uh, we also got a new logo. Was that also in December? No, I think that was early this year. Um, I think that was, yeah, that was early this year where we got the new logo and also... Yeah, definitely after I joined. Yes. Ah, true. Because it was like but a whole redesign and we also redid our, our website. Yes. And we also yeah. got a new uh, intro music. Yeah. So it was like a whole Short little rebranding yeah. yeah. that happened in 2020. A whole makeover. A whole makeover. Exactly. Although, talking about makeovers, I mean, we, we really need to pick segue of the year. But there was an episode idea. <laughs> How could that, we that should have been a category segue of the year. See, I've, I've now segued out of my own segue. I've got a <laughs> oh, segue section. Um, there, there was oh, a crazy episode idea. Segues all the way down. From about three years ago, where we, we jokingly dared Valeria Aliperta. To take, it was only the three of us at the time, now it's four of us, to take the host of Troublesome Terps out and give us a Troublesome Terps fashion makeover. That's that was true. your idea, yeah. That was your like idea. The, the doyen of interpreting fashion. Thank God right? we needed. Obviously, you can't do that because, well, how many people can you get in a shop? But, you know, when you can go shopping again, that that's still a daft episode idea. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, it could, could be online shopping, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> My God. Yeah, but I think most of those things yeah. that we just talked about were in the before times, right? This was in the in the before, yes. and then March came around, and a uh, long time ago. Yeah, it was about like fifteen fifteen years ago when March I think, happened. Actually, Jonathan, that may have been the last time I I went to a pub before the lockdown was with you. Uh, come to think of it, so yeah, definitely in the before time. Mm. And then uh, the sea pubs. thing hit, didn't it? The sea thing. <laughs> the sea thing. <laughs> There's too many sea things now. Yeah. yeah. And Sarah, you were still in Ireland back in the time, and then you sort of moved in the kind of in the, no, not in the middle of the pandemic, but maybe sort of between the first and the second wave. Yeah. At the time, we thought it might be the middle, but it wasn't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knows? Um, right? Yeah. No, I found out also, um, I found out that I was pregnant on the first day of the lockdown in Ireland. So it was... Um, Bad timing because of all the restrictions and good timing that I didn't have to explain to all of my friends why I suddenly don't drink alcohol anymore because, you know, I wasn't seeing anybody anyway. So that was pretty good. But yeah, this year was not boring for us. Um, uh, we, yeah, we moved country. Uh, then within that, we moved house twice, um, just had a baby, the first one. And so, yeah, this year has been uh, interesting for me. <laughs> <laughs> Rather eventful. I just figured I'd do it all at once and at the worst possible moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Why not? Like, just get it over with. Because, yeah. you know, I like a challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Nimsy must have been completely overworked when all of that hit because if there's ever a time where you need market stats and where someone needs to keep tabs on what's going on, it's when you have a worldwide pandemic and no one has any data on anything. So Nimsy must have yeah. gone from kind of, we're producing reports to, oh my goodness, everyone wants us now. Yeah, it's actually um, fairly true. We've been really busy and we've had a lot of custom projects. And so basically up until my maternity leave, I was just uh, handling custom projects. And I talked to colleagues recently who told me they're busy with more custom projects <laughs> alongside our... Mm -mm -mm. The regular workload. Uh, uh, regular market uh, research reports as well. Yes. So it's a busy time for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I just came across the interpreting index you did uh, last year, I think, mm. uh, and said, well, shame, we're not going to have that this year because Sarah's on uh, maternity leave. So you'll have to catch up next year then. Exactly. Like we are going to do one uh, early in like probably around spring, 
2021, basically, as soon as I'm back, where we are getting into our flagship um, report, the number one, uh, the NIMZ 100, and we're going to do the interpreting index at the same time, basically. Um, and oh, yeah. that's so nothing to do. No, no, it'd be yeah. an easy God, start really back for me. Come here, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, with, with all with all the mergers, and I've noticed here. I don't know if anyone else has noticed elsewhere, but the agencies, the agency balance of power seems to have shifted. So there seem to be some agencies who have just lo- launched into remote interpreting, perhaps overly so. Oh, Jesus, yes. And, oh, but others God. who, like, I haven't heard from since, well, for a long time. And but then there's like also, that. on the flip side, Jonathan, exactly what you were saying, you know, a lot of agencies you haven't heard from in a long time, but then there's, like, for each agency that's kind of just fizzled out, there's, like, 10 more who just sprung up, like, mushrooms all over the place, and they're like, hey, we're offering RSI, and you're like, what do you do? Well, we offer RSI. Yeah, but what does that mean? And they actually all topics, have no all idea. languages. <laughs> Like, it's just one, I actually one time engaged with one of the project managers who sent out this email blast to probably like 500 interpreters. And she had just, just no idea, like none. And I was just like, okay, this is, this is. I, I, I've had conversations where it's been clear that only one person in the conversation understood how interpreting worked. I, th- I think the thing is, is that we kind of should have expected that because that's what crises do. Yeah. And if we're honest, there have been as many clueless, well, clueless is the wrong word, there have been a, as many interpreters who've had to get up to speed really quickly as there have been agencies that have had no knowledge. And I think it was something we were talking about before we started the show, is that I think I've been proud of how a lot of interpreters have coped. There have been fewer big fallouts and arguments than I expected. Um, and I think actually interpreting is going to be okay through this. You know, everyone the, everyone talks about market disturbance and market overhaul and blah, 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 and the future of interpreting. I, yes, a lot of interpreters have, lo- have lost a lot of work, and I don't know how many have even managed to come back. But I think long-term we're going to see a, a stabilised ship. Uh, we won't go back to exactly the way things were before, but I think we've learned a lot from this. Um, well, that's for and, sure. And I, I can see a recovery coming. My main concern in the UK is I think we have a really big supply issue coming. And I don't don't think people realise how bad the UK supply issue is, um, especially with the new visa reg- regulations that are going to make it almost impossible to import interpreting. Um, the UK is heading for a huge supply issue. Don't know about other European countries because, hey, they're still in the EU. Well, it's kind of a common theme, actually, from what I've seen, uh, talking to all sorts of uh, different companies in different countries, um, that the like lack of interpreters uh, is a common theme. Um, I would agree, that, though, that probably would be even harder in the UK, given the... Um, the new situation, but this whole, you know, we don't have enough interpreters uh, theme is sticking out everywhere. Hmm. I, would see one, yeah. I would say one reason there's a perceived lack of interpreters is because there's a general lack of understanding of what it takes to get good interpreters in the right places. And so there would be less of a supply issue if people would stop treating interpreting as a service that they can get at any price they feel like at any time they feel like. Yeah, I would agree that it's, it's definitely like it's a perception. So the this is something that people say when we talk to them, that there's a lack of interpreters. But I have also pointed out to people before that there is not actually a, a lack of interpreters. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the right people into the right jobs, of it's course. It's a mismatch. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. It's a mismatch more so. But I think you, you were on to something else sort of very early on, which is the whole issue of acoustic shock and, and bad sound, which I think kind of started with the whole terrible situa- situation at the um, Translation Bureau. So actually on uh, in on-site meetings, but it's become a really big issue, at least um, sort of in my bubble, but also from, from what I hear from sort of the wider context is that people are really struggling with bad sound and I actually had that today <laughs> so I was working uh, uh, in a meeting through uh, an RSI platform and occasionally the sound was really atrocious so I don't know how in how far you've been able to sort of watch that situation in recent months but um, you, you were certainly on to something that will keep us busy for a long time to come I'm afraid yeah, I, I would say that this requires a lot more in-depth research, probably on a different level than uh, what we're uh, doing. Um, I just found that it was a, like 
an interesting topic also that affects um, you know the interpreting community and the the market but of course we're not going into it from that kind of scientific um, point of view let's say but um, what I liked um, let's say after what happened in, in Canada the translation bureau mm. was taking was and is taking it com like very seriously they're really um, you know yes it happened and it was bad but I like that they're really making an effort to improve the situation where I don't know if that can be said across the board uh, everywhere but um, for me that shows that they are being very professional about it I don't know if that's the case with all the RSI companies um, I, but that's just more you know I, I really couldn't single anyone out here um, but I guess the positive takeaway from that is that at least it's becoming more of a topic that people are aware of, right? Before it may have happened to some people and they wouldn't maybe have realized that this was uh, a common theme, maybe. Whereas now mm -hmm. at least it's becoming more of a topic. So hopefully it can, you know, it will push people um, to try and resolve this at least. I mean, I, I have brought out a really cool info thing, what we call it. Um, I've been working on, I hope I'll be able to, to drop this in the show notes for this. I've got a resource now, a buyer's guide for interpreting, um, covering from the buyer's side, because I think we tend to talk to speakers, but actually buyers can do a whole lot. Uh, so I've got like a two-page, very low graphic um, buyer's guide that I'm going to be finishing up soon that, that will just go out and I've already tested it on a couple of buyers and they've said, oh, we didn't know half of this stuff. And I thought, yeah, it, it, you know, stuff that we take for granted Mm -hmm. you need to say to people, you know, if you're working with interpreters remotely, here are some of the things you need to be thinking about. And here are what, here's what you need to be thinking about at the buying stage. Here's the kind of people you need to be working alongside. That that stuff helps. You know, I'm kind of of two minds about the, the whole sound issue with RSI because on the one hand, the thing that I found is because we're all hearing the same thing, if the sound is really bad, the clients will hear the same stuff that you're hearing. And usually it gets resolved much faster because everybody's hearing the same crappy input. So if you, if, if we as interpreters literally just can't do it, neither can they, and they will immediately fix it. Or they will just say, you know what, we're just going to move on. This is not working. That's actually happened a, a few times throughout this year yeah. where just presentations have just gotten cut where we're just, the, the, the client was just like, we can't hear you. If you can fix it within the next five minutes, we're just moving on. Sorry, then, next. Exactly, next. But then on the flip side, because the clients hear exactly what we're hearing, sometimes it's more difficult for, for us to explain to them what you're hearing is fine for listening only, but it's not enough for interpreting. And that's they were, the and then, yeah. and that's the tricky bit because, you know, just listening, it would be, totally be fine. Like it would be. Yeah okay listening if somebody speaks this is please if anybody's out there listening anybody who is like a manager or whatever do not use apple airpods for your interpreted conference calls this is literally the bane of my existence in 2020 yeah because that, everybody's doing it not just for you by the way but um the thing where people say you know this this is fine i mean this even happens to interpreters because it is just different just to oh, listen yeah. to something and then having to interpret yourself so even as a seasoned interpreter you might sit there and say oh this is kind of okay but then you know when it's your shift and yeah. you have to do it it's oh my god it's and it's really bad you know yeah but i also found that it varies widely between interpreters even because some interpreters will hear one thing and be perfectly capable of like filling in the blanks themselves or kind of coping with the with the audio, whatever it may be. And then the next person, their partner, will try to do it as well and they will struggle massively. So even amongst interpreters, the actual perception of what the sound is like is vastly That's different. It's very sometimes. subjective. Yeah. Yeah, it's very subjective. Which makes it even more difficult. Totally. But the thing is, is I was consulting on a job recently and there was a proper A V team. It was a completely remote job, proper A V team. And I had built the team of interpreters myself and I couldn't listen to the interpreters because the setup, let's not go there, but I could listen to what the interpreters were having to interpret. And my tack was, okay, I know what level this conference is at. So rather than, you know, screaming and shouting about the horrible sound, I wrote to the EV team and the organisers and said, for the speakers to sound their best, given the quality of speaker that you have, I've noticed some issues. Here are some possible ways of resolving them. And because I didn't mention the word interpreters until like two thirds of the way down the email and I was talking about for them to sound their best and framed it as, you know, you've got some rather big name speakers here. Here are some issues you might want to talk to them about to make sure that they come across well because this really matters to them. The sound wasn't perfect on the second day, but it was a lot better because suddenly the event managers and the AV people were able to email speakers and go, oh, and, and 
you know, and the people who own the event and saying, oh, you don't want this event to go bad, so maybe we can fix this. And as, as soon as we make it about the interpreters, we're not going to get anywhere. If we make it about, you know, how these speakers want to sound their best, if it's resolvable, and sometimes it isn't, some issues just don't get resolved, then people will want to resolve it if you make it in their interest. The moment we make it about the interpreters, they'll go, you're good, aren't you? You can cope. I had the same situation today, actually, and it was a very high level thing. But even, you know, on that high level, sometimes you could you would get very, very bad sound. And you think, how is that possible? You know, I mean, why don't they have a proper microphone? Why are they using the built in mic from the laptop? And, you know, all these things that we see uh, again and again. So there's still, I think, a lot to do. But it's my impression is that mostly the the problem is really an input problem because what i mm. see a lot as well is people including interpreters blaming the platforms and yes i know there's compression going on and stuff like that but uh, the the most serious problem in my experience at least is usually on the input side so lack of a microphone bad microphone no microphone at all um insufficient bandwidth uh those kinds of things um that is usually where the bottleneck starts so it's not always or not necessarily the platform i don't know if that's something that you see as well in in your yeah. experience oh, yeah totally and i was actually talking to a colleague of mine about that as well um we were discussing hubs and, you know, I've worked a lot in hubs this year, was fortunate enough to be able to do so. And I like it for a variety of reasons. But the thing is, except for, I want to say two jobs, except for two jobs where the equipment company actually provided the professional microphone equipment, like they actually did the entire technical setup on the client side. It was still completely remote with only like four managers or whatever on the, on the client side in their own premises. We were in the hub, but that was all perfect. As soon as it comes through Zoom, Teams, um, WebEx, whatever it is, it's just going to be equally as poor as what you get if you're doing it from your own interpreting studio, your home office or whatever. So the, the actual sound quality is not actually a huge selling point for the hub, which pains me to say because everything else mm. in the hub is really great, yeah. but it is an input issue. And I've actually seen managers on executive level, like C-suite people who just said, no, I don't want to use a microphone. It doesn't look nice on camera. I don't want to do it. And then I'm like, well, you know, if this is the level that we're talking here, there's nothing we can do because they know they sound horrible. Everybody else is using a microphone, but they don't want to do it. I mean, they don't have to use a headset. There's other mics out there, you know, <laughs> if you're afraid to look bad. I mean, come it's on. You know, but there, there's, there's nothing much you can do. And that's why I know. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky situation. It's, it's a tricky situation. It, 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 it's massively an input issue. It's massively to do with, you know, the robustness of internet connections as well, internal mics. Um, you know, if you're hearing fan, if the interpreter is hearing fan noise, it's not because of a platform, it's because someone's using an internal mic. Um, and I think there's there's a lot that we can do about raising awareness about, you know, how people can help themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a test of our, I'm going to say this more than once on, the, on this episode, it's a test of our PR ability. Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest... Yeah, let's be honest. If I'm honest, we haven't done ourselves any favors preparing for this because for years we've sold interpreting as the invisible service. We've sold interpreting as available when you need it. And now we need the negotiating room to tell people you need a mic. Guess what? They're like, well, can't you cope? Aren't you good? You know, all the stuff that we've been telling people about interpreting, they're giving us back. And yeah, we're now realizing that, you know, the way we talked about interpreting for 50 years or 100 years, I guess, doesn't work in the modern world anymore. And so we need to rethink how we talk. About, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have an episode on this at some point. We need to rethink how we're talking about interpreting and we need to be more aware that if we want people to pay for a mic so that they sound better, we need to make the case in their terms that they need to sound better. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, Sarah, but did you hear anything about how all these platforms were doing sort of financially or overall uh, during this year? Because, I mean, there, there's been quite a bit of media buzz, you know, about the big players and how well they were doing uh, sort of in, in the, in the uh, how do you say, sort of on, uh, hot on the heels of Zoom and the others who were growing quite a bit. Did you hear any anything about that? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, especially the RSI platforms have been doing really well this year. Yeah, hmm. because which 
to me makes complete sense, of course, with all the, um, you know, people weren't able to meet on site anymore. Everything had to be moved online. So um, even people who would have never considered RSA before suddenly were forced to if they wanted to make any money at all. Right. Um, so, yeah, even uh, other types of um, virtual interpreting technology companies uh, were doing really well. The ones for um, video remote interpreting or also over the phone interpreting. You know, if you're looking at, of course, um, a lot of the um, medical interpreting had to be like some was still done in person. Yeah. But of course, especially given the coronavirus situation, a lot of that was moved um, to remote interpreting as well. Um, of course, to, to also protect interpreters um, and clients alike. So those companies were doing well too. But uh, to me, especially RSI um, stood out. It really, let's say, came into its own this year. Um, I mean, I don't want to say it uh, is uh, perfect on all levels there, um, but I just mean it came from being maybe an option or something that people were, you know, reluctant to try to something that suddenly everyone was trying because they had to. So it was just more, you know, the it became the solution to the problem without maybe like it's maybe not perfect. Like we addressed some issues yeah. here already, but um, it was the solution because without it, what would we have done? You know. And just as a, a follow up question to to all of you, um, I, I had a very interesting conversation a few oh gosh months ago now with a, a very tech savvy colleague, um, and the colleague said, "Well, um, it's interesting to see these developments of the RSI platforms, especially this year, but uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that all the big platforms, i.e., the Zooms and WebExes and possibly Microsoft Teams of the world, uh, will just integrate." Uh, interpreting as a feature and Zoom has already done that at least to some extent it's it's nowhere near you know Interpretify, Kudo and all the others but do you do you think that's a possibility that the big platforms will just add that as a feature and that these dedicated RSI platforms will you know will come to the end of the road and m maybe only serve in you know edge cases or something like that yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah go ahead <laughs> I don't see that happening. No. Um, so I, well, it's like a bit uh, yes and no, because I do think they will uh, integrate it more um, if they're smart <laughs> and they seem to be very smart. They're doing very well. Um, but I do think that for anyone who's really interested in getting more professional interpreting services uh, online, they will resort to the RSI platforms because those are not the platforms like if you're looking at um, Zoom and Google and, and WebEx, all of them, they started out as, let's say, just video conferencing platforms that then add like multilingualism as an add-on. Whereas the RSI platforms, they started out with being just about multilingualism. Like the whole point of their existence is to bring a multilingual conference online. They have that point of view from those types of conferences. They usually have people... Uh, who are interpreters or were interpreters and have that background knowledge. So they can make this whole multilingual web conferencing experience a lot more professional, both for the audience um, as well as for the interpreters. So I think uh, for anyone looking for something like that, you know, they will go to the RSI platforms that they will win in this field. But of course, for anyone who's just, yeah, well, we are, you know, we don't know anything. We just know Zoom and we love Zoom um, and we just want a little bit of this, you know? Yeah, of course, you, you, you know, then Zoom will win because Zoom is the biggest winner overall, yeah, mm. <laughs> for video mm. conferencing. So, of course, uh, people will use that as well. And what I've seen from a lot of um, um, RSI or other platforms as well, um, they found ways to integrate with Zoom then because a lot of the times their clients want to use Zoom. But I do think that it makes the experience more uh, complicated, unnecessarily complicated as well. So because the RSI platforms usually can do what Zoom can do for that purpose, but they do the multilingual aspect a lot better. And it's just sometimes right. people are resistant to switch to a different platform. But then I think it's also... it. it Yes, it makes it more complicated if you add Zoom to, I don't know, Interactio or whatever, but for whom? Not for the client. 
Do you know what I mean? So at the end of the day, mm. the person who pays, they for them it's not going to be any more or less complicated because they just set up the Zoom link and then they just send it out to the to interactive. They integrate it into their website. So there are definitely multiple steps involved, but not necessarily for the client at the end of the day. I do think you, that's true, but I do think you get more um, like better features for your whole, whole multilingual conference you know, conferencing experience if you're going to yeah, the other platforms. Which is very true, but I've I've used a, a few platforms using Zoom and the the I don't know how to say this delicately. <laughs> but, Maybe don't. But <laughs> yeah. So so the pe- the people joining the the conferences to you know as participants, they sometimes were struggling to log on to the Zoom meeting with their language, which mm-hmm. is like a click like a click a link and a passcode. If we told them to have to log on to another platform that they, because everybody's heard of Zoom by, at this point, you know, at least you know what Zoom is. And if you told them that they have to go on this website, maybe actually register with their email address and then click on this and then select a, a language or whatever, you know, I'm not sure that that would have necessarily gone so well. Whereas if it says German Zoom, French Zoom, English Zoom, and then you just click on it and then you're logged on. So I think a lot of the, the, you know, you just remove as many barriers, remove as much friction as possible. And I, uh, they've done that way very well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also it depends on, I partially agree with what you were saying, Sarah, about the multilingualism part. For me in Germany, as, as an interpreter working with German and English, the number of conferences that I do usually per year with more than one language, like more than one language pair, I can usually count on two hands. That's the German market, though. That is the German market. So this is very specific. This is very specific for the German market, for the German market with German and English. And if you only need to go back and forth, nobody's going to use an RSI platform. They will all use Zoom. They will all use Microsoft Team. They will all use like a Frankensteinian (laughs) situation with WebEx and Google Hangouts, Google or whatever it is. As soon as it's about more multiple languages and then going with Relay, then that's been the case where, like you said, the multilingualism, the actual multilingualism comes in. That's when I've seen people actually use RSI platforms. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, way of putting it, um, where, you know, the, the two can um, have their, their niches maybe in this uh, mm. area as well. Yeah. And but for me personally, and first of all, I also agree, people uh, like what they know. Yeah, for me, my favorite way to have a video conference is with Google Hangouts, because that's what we use at Nimsy. Yeah, and it's super, I find it the easiest, like I just click on it and everyone is there and it's fantastic. I don't, you know, it's so easy. Um, whereas for me, I, I use Zoom. We're using Zoom right now, but I find Zoom already too annoying. You know, I, I personally, I, I don't like to set up all that stuff. I can do it. I can do it, but I don't enjoy it. You know, <laughs> so I avoid it if I can. It's, so. yeah. it's more work for the, it's more work for the host. That's true. And I just wanted to give an, a fun fact. I tried to find out when we started using Zoom, it was definitely before, 2018 so we oh, definitely yeah. did it before it was cool <laughs> probably 2017 OGs. or something i was gonna say you know i'm no i don't have a huge amount of experience on remote interpreting stuff i'm waiting for the next big merger and acquisition i'm waiting for a large tech company to swallow up um an rsi platform mm-hmm. um i don't i think that's quite likely that they might just say you know we've seen these tech companies swallow up smaller companies because it's easier for them to do that than to develop capabilities themselves um i think i wouldn't be surprised if at least one current rsi company i'm not going to name any um but you know it wouldn't surprise me if at least one current rsi company becomes a a sub company of some big tech giant Mm -hmm. and that would confer could confer an advantage on them the other thing is is that i'm learning more and more that interpreting is such a huge multi-headed thing that any attempts to forecast the future of interpreting can only be answered with the question which interpreting where 
Yeah, that's because very you know what happens in private market interpreting in Scotland could be entirely different to what happens will be entirely different to what happens in institutional interpreting in Brussels. Then you get you know government mandated contracts versus none. You know, there's so many things going on, mm. and I my lesson from this year has been I don't know as much about the breadth of interpreting as I thought I did, and neither does anyone else. Yeah. Maybe apart from Nemzi, probably know everyone. Apart from Sarah, who is head of global interpreting research. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but it's true. This is uh, the big challenge, right? You, on the one hand, want to have an overview of, uh, you know, interpreting in general and the interpreting world and the global interpreting market. And there are some common themes, right? But then it gets so different when you look at like every country individually and within that or then every type of interpreting and then within the countries of different types of interpreting and so it can go super deep you can do individual studies and in all those different segments or the overall one and ideally you want to know a little bit about all of them <laughs> to get a good idea but you know what's really funny just just because you were mentioning it, it there was this i remember there was this this was a few months ago there was this big um I don't want to say it was like a blowout fight, but it was it was definitely a little scuffle going on on Twitter um, about working conditions in conference interpreting across different countries. And some people from Europe were remarking on working conditions in Latin America and how that's completely impossible and they could not even fathom working like this. How could anyone? And then somebody was like, well, we work like this all the time. What yeah, do you mean? Welcome to the new normal. You know, and yeah, so it's it's just really interesting if you compare one market one country with another one and you think yours is the absolute gold standard like I was just doing 30 seconds ago um, and then you just think oh everybody has to work like this and everybody who doesn't work like this is kind of beneath me so it's really interesting that that kind of still exists and that you know due to the power of social media we actually get to see those conversations happen sort of in real time we probably should go into the troublesome therapist awards soon but i just wanted to share one story. i was um chatting to someone on twitter i don't think it was this year but we were talking about you know and there's a, a twitter chat on interpreting jobs and i told the story of you know someone was talking about you know how you have to know exactly what you're going to do at each job and i said you know a typical in-person interpreting job in my market likely is going to involve simultaneous uh, interpreting on a tour uh, and I said you know my favorite job which happened last year was a job where I counted and I used something like four interpreting modes within an hour and a half mm. and, I, and I was like and I loved that because that's what I you know I was on stage I was doing dialogue I was doing this and, you know it's the fun. interpreters yeah. got used to it, it yeah fun. it's really fun and I was told on Twitter that's not professional how dare they expect you to do, use more than one mode at a job and I'm like, if I said to my clients, I can't use more than one mode of job, I'd never get any work. Mm -hmm. But also, Alex, as you were saying, I think um, this can this can just apply to almost all aspects of life, though, as well, right? Because sometimes yeah, I talk, totally. when I was living in Ireland, I was talking to people in Germany about certain aspects, you know, and people go like, oh, my God, how can you live like this? How can people live like this? And it's not that outrageous. I, I don't even want to name any specific examples now, but just, you know, and we're like, well, people live like this all the time. And I adjusted to it. And then I do the opposite and tell Irish people about things in Germany and there would be the same reaction sometimes, you know, and it's just like, yeah, well, you know, it's always what you're used to. Right. And in yeah. certain areas, we are also very um, spoiled and take something in a certain culture um, to be super, super important. And in another culture, everyone's like, nobody cares. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, <not> totally. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so. We we need to have like we need to have like a mini series some point called the we, we talked a little bit this year about diversity and I think we need to do like a mini series on the diversity of interpreting. That would and, be and really deliberately fun. pick because we've sampled some markets. I think we should deliberately pick the, the interpreting you didn't know you didn't know about. So the uh, the unknown unknowns of interpreting. Isn't that like a? Oh my god! It's not a George W. Bush quote. Oh, Donald Rumsfeld. That's who that's from. Anyway, yes. overused to, quote. To, talking about talking about two wheeled battery powered transportation devices, otherwise known as segways. <laughs> yeah, moving into the known unknown, right? <laughs> to the, yeah. Well, the, the, well, known the known known. Yeah, this who is knows? Definitely a known known. Who well, who knows? knows? That's right. have a nice like segue time melody or like a gong or something. Yeah, I need to I need to come up with a jingle or something. I think we need like one of those little scooter melodies that goes like, and then it's like that was our segue. I like it. Get it? And then it crashes into a wall. <laughs> <And then it laughs> crashes. Linguistically, the best known. Where segways go? 
waiting for the joke. Linguistically, the best known gnome is Professor Chomsky. Nice. Alex Gansfer is like. I love Chomsky. We'll fix it in post. What is happening? Oh, dad joke. Oh, can we do like a little dad joke jingle? You know, every time like somebody makes a dad joke, we just go like. Somebody. Uh, there is like one person who makes all of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Martin is super happy that now he uh, is allowed to make dad jokes. Yes, finally. <laughs> oh my god! Welcome to the club, Martin. Finally. Okay, but what happened to mom jokes, huh? Oh, mom. Oh, mom jokes yeah, are exactly. very different from dad jokes. Yeah, you know what mom jokes are called? Is that a thing? Husbands. <laughs> oh, that was a dad. Was that a dad joke or a mom joke? Yes. Mm, so, yes. <laughs> I, someone was jokingly going to. Well, someone sent me a cartoon once that said, "You know, never question your wife's decisions because you were one of them." <laughs> good point. Yes, very good point. Yes. Okay, but I do think what Jonathan was saying is very true. That after about an hour of recording the Troublesome Terps Awards show, we should actually start moving towards the Troublesome Terps Awards. How about that? We have more segues than the Oscars. <laughs> well, you know. Right. We're just having a hard time imagining you sort of rolling onto the stage with a segue to pick up <laughs> your award. On... <laughs> <laughs> hey, do, do you, do your listeners, can, can you do a gif of all the troublesome terps heads on a segue slowly moving yes, onto the stage, please? We will do it. And, and we will make it like the gif for this show. If anyone knows how to make gifs, I don't know how to. I can try. Yeah, we'll figure it so, out. We will make this work. I will learn Photoshop for this. Before we actually give any awards. This is the most important job we've this, had in a while. This is now the mission yes. of 2020. <laughs> Jonathan is doing his best to sort of segue us into the show. Come on. I'm, I'm trying to be the, be the mature one for the first time in my entire life. <laughs> Should we all just mute ourselves and let you do, let you do okay. your thing, Jonathan? So b- beforehand, we were talking about our favorite episodes, guests, and moments. Um, so I'm going to jump in first. I know for other people it's a tie. I have to say my favourite episode now. I'm going to decide, because I couldn't decide between Vicarious Trauma and uh, the episode with Lauren gone, and I think I'm just going to... The episode with Lauren was great fun, but I think I'm just going to tip it into Vicarious Trauma because I still think we have a mental health issue. We have lots of mental health issues in interpreting. Remote interpreting probably did not make any of them any better. <laughs> but I think uh, that was the second episode that I'm aware of that we've done on mental health. I think we need to come back to it mm. because I don't think we're done with it. And I think, mm. sadly, I have to say up until, okay, even now, I don't think interpreting takes mental health seriously enough. We talk we, we talk so much about great sound and so much about, you know, business skills and so much about um, ISO standards. Can we get an ISO standard that says interpreters should get mental health support? Because we have standards for like the, the we care more about the thickness of booth walls than we care about the mental health of our interpreters. That is not yes. right. Mm. That is a good point. Yeah, but you seem to be right on the money, Jonathan, because we also asked our listeners what they want to see in 2021, you know, covered on the show. And there were a few mentions where they were saying mental health implications of RSI, how to mitigate uh, mental health issues, stress management. And, and you know, I think it, there's definitely a big interest of coming, you know, about coming back to this topic. So I definitely think we should put that on the, let's put it on the short list. Yes, I agree. Any list I do is short because I'm only five foot six. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, tell us about your favorite episode of the year. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't choose. I, I can't choose. You can give us a short list. Yeah, I I do have a short list. I do have a short list, a six feet long short list. (laughs) No, but I basically, for me, I couldn't choose because the the episodes that I'm torn between are very... very different. So I'm torn between Don't Be a Bully and Starting Out as an Interpreter on the one hand, and then the Terp Tech Trouble with Josh and the Getting Worldly with Lakshman. On the other hand, and I think I can't choose because they're very different because the first two, the bullying episode and the starting out episode, it's just us. It's like a good old fashioned troublesome Terps episode, the way we started this out, you know, it's just the four of us chatting, discussing a topic, kind of like 
Kind of like we're doing now, you mean? Yeah, like, kind of like we're doing now, but also kind of like how we designed the, or designed how we envisioned the podcast in the first place, you know, just having a chat in the pub with your interpreting mates and just discussing different topics. So those are kind of like throwback episodes that also cover really relevant and important topics. And then on the other hand, we've got the techie episodes with the fantastic knowledgeable guests who give us a lot of input and really nice, you know, things to, to kind of chew on. So I can't, I, I can't choose. Don't make me choose. I'm going to mute myself now. Don't make me choose. I'm not going to choose. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? I'm, I'm going to go last. Yeah, so I had two favorites as well. Uh, the first one, same as Jonathan's, was the vicarious trauma one, because um, same as I think it's a really important topic uh, that's not being talked about enough. And it's a good thing that we are starting to talk about it. And it's it was one you've researched before as well, haven't you? Yes, I, I did yeah. research about it um, for NIMSI. Um, and that's when I became kind of fascinated and, well, also shocked with the topic, like, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so I think it's a very, very important topic. I mean, to talk about it more, not just this one, also mental health in general. And um, yeah, I, I find it um, fascinating, if that's okay to say. <laughs> I don't know. I don't mean this in a in a bad way. Just uh, that there's so much um, that we still don't know or haven't talked about yet. And um, so I, that was re a really, really interesting conversation. And then I also loved the episode with uh, Lakshman from Wordly because I like my episodes particularly troublesome. And that was very uh, troubling. Uh, that was one of I them. don't know what yeah. the word is, but it was really good. I think we had a really um, strong, interesting conversation, especially between Jonathan and Lakshman, who are both experts on the topic, I would say. And yeah, so I thought that was um, out of the ordinary, which is what I like. I think that sums it up quite quite nicely. Uh, I'm biased with my choice of favorite episode. I mean, they were all <laughs> all great in their own way, but um, I really enjoyed doing the episode with uh, with Josh about um, interpreting technology because it was kind of a fun crossover of uh, of the two big projects that I've been working on this year, um, and and just w and working on tech forward with Josh. Um, just made this year so 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 much better than it would have been uh, without it. So that that gets my vote as the favorite episode of the year. And um, we should probably take a look at the audience favorites. And we have we should. Uh, speaking of shortlists, we have a shortlist. <laughs> we do for the uh, the final three for the favorite episodes of 2020, according to um, to our audience. And uh, we have, first of all, starting out as an interpreter, which was, that was really a fun one because we uh, streamed it live on YouTube. So people had the chance to uh, join in and ask questions and give comments, which was a lot of fun. Definitely something we should do again next year. Um, we have number two, don't be uh, a bully. And then number three, know your worth. So where we had Julia um, Pogaron to, uh, to talk about business stuff, which we hadn't done in a while. Mm. But again, since we the the previous business episode was one of the most successful episodes we've ever had, and again, still this is one, actually, yeah, and again, yeah. this one was super successful. So people are interested in business stuff. Who'd have thought? Which is good, Who'd right? Think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's Great. also an important aspect of interpreting. Totally. We only cover important aspects of interpreting, in case yeah, sure. you know, in case anybody but was wondering. We, we, still, <laughs> we still haven't yet done an episode on uh, interpreter foot care or. <laughs> <laughs> All the nail salons are closed now, Jonathan, don't you know? You know, how do you get a great interpreting manicure? I, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, trust me. I've had a colleague who did her manicure in the booth. I know. Oh, it's really? the worst. <sighs> it is the worst. <laughs> as long as it's the not nail, a let's not, remover. Let's not go there. No, we're, not. Not, we're not doing an episode on the most disgusting things that have happened in the booth. That's just... Ooh, yeah. just but we little? could easily fill an hour. <laughs> easily. <laughs> Anyways, Anywho. Alex, go ahead. We have a winner out of the shortlist. Yes. Some episode Cute drum one. roll. <laughs> and the favorite episode of 2020 is Know Your Worth with Julia. Woo! So there you have it. That was the favorite episode for our audience. And uh, it's kind of backed up by our statistics as well, which we like to look at. So uh, yes. that's, up. that's very accurate. Um, that was a good one. Yeah. That was a very was good really one, fun. yes. Yeah. So we should do some some business stuff again uh, next year as well. Uh, moving right along to uh, the favorite guest of 2020. 
Mm-hmm. Um, should we do a quick lightning round um, among the hosts about favorites? No. Yeah. Let's <laughs> it's not. like asking, what's, who's your favorite child? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so I, I was going to say exactly. exactly that thing. I only um, have one so far, so it's easy. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that is easier. So for me, it would be none. That doesn't work. <laughs> I, I have four going on five, so, you know. Mm. Um, in terms of favorite guests, can I just say, and I, I'm going to show my diplomatic side, I have been impressed at the breadth and depth of expertise that our guests have had this year. Mm. We've, I Amen. can honestly say we haven't had a single guest where I've been on the show and thought, how is this going to actually work? Mm. Um, we, we've had, I mean, you don't hear it because we have the best sound editor on the planet. We've had shows where technically it has been a challenge to make the final sound sound good. Um, so do I have a favourite guest? Um, I, I wondered at some point, I, I thought, you know, we're, we're Lakshman and I going to start a boxing match, but actually we can have the gentleman's agreement by the end. It was good. Mm. Yeah, no, um, that's all right. <laughs> I think Madalena, all of our guests impressed me this year. Picking yes. a favourite guest is, is really, impossible. really, really, yeah, I, I can't. I it's can. impossible, and yet our wonderful listeners have managed. <laughs> so mm, here they is, all have favourite children. Yes. Here is the <laughs> short list. Uh, the final three for our favourite guests of 2020. Number one is Josh Goldsmith, who was on, in February, I think, the, the Turp Tech Trouble episode. Then number two, we have Madalena Zampaolo, who is in, uh, a podcaster in her own right. Uh, if you don't know Smart Habits for Translators, do check it out. Um, and we talked to her about um, online presence, building your website, that kind of thing. And of course, Julia with um, the Know Your Worth business episode. So who gets to announce the winner? Uh, Sarah, do you want to announce the winner? We'll we'll cue a quick drum roll. It's Julia. Hey! Hey! (laughs) Can I just say out of war shows going way smoother than the the Oscars? Yes, it's much faster. (laughs) Yeah, it's much faster. No envelopes, nothing. I was going to... There's also no speeches though, so... No speeches. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I want to break the rule with the uh, favorite guest thingy because I forgot about someone very important that I want to mention, if that's okay. Yeah. Because I I'll, really, really I'll enjoyed the in episode with, with uh, cool <laughs> with uh, Tony Posada. Um, mm. Because I, yeah, from interpreting in crisis regions, um, because he told us all sorts of crazy stories that were actually true. Which are hard to believe, and as shocking as some of them were, I could listen to him tell stories like that all day long. So I really enjoyed that as well. He should do this an is... audio book one day. Yes, yeah. I agree. He should. Maybe I should mention that to him. Yeah, he's got the voice for it too. The other thing that we should do is, you know, um, it was Every Derricker who I was interviewing on Inside Interpreting My Other Project. And she said, you know, interpreters, when you talk to them about interpreting generally, kind of give this kind of, we don't conduits, we don't make a difference. But then when you ask them to tell stories, you hear what they really do. And I think making more space for interpreting stories is really important because the war stories, as one of my mates once called them, they're really formative for young professionals mm-hmm. because then they realise, you know, university says this, and then you figure out, you know, in real life, you know, I've, I've had some interpreters say, so, you know, if I turned up to a job and the, the conditions weren't just right, I would walk out. Well, I've had jobs where the conditions were interesting and I realised that walking out is kind of the least professional thing to do sometimes. It's just, yeah. just have to say, okay. Um, well, but some people would disagree to that. Yeah. I've had that conversation on Twitter as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's the thing is, is the, the war stories are where you really get the discussion. Mm. Um, and and where you where you find out from people, you know, how do we react to this? And I had cause a couple of weeks ago. I thought I was going to go into my longest rant ever because in one morning, I had two colleagues that I thought, oh what? But I realised it was a better way to respond to difficult times and to rant. I might mm. tell that story in mm. a, an episode later. But you know what the thing is about guests as well. And I also don't have a favourite one. I have a couple of favourite ones, but you know. And we talked about this before we actually started the official recording for the episode. I think it's 
you know, we want to do more episodes where it's just the four of us, but there are so many interesting topics with such knowledgeable people and such um, experts in the field that you always want to get them on because you want to get their input. And then it's another episode with a guest. So there are so many great guests because they know so much about great topics that it's really difficult to choose because how could you? They're all, you know, it's like apples and oranges all over the board. And... um, yeah, it's just it's just really great, and I'm also I think Jonathan, you were saying it. I was I was really impressed at the the caliber of people coming onto the show, and also kind of just the the knowledge they share so freely. You know, like even Lakshman, I was actually thinking when he was doing the episode, going into the episode, I, th- I was thinking that he was going to be a lot more guarded than he was, and it was really open, like an open book, mm-hmm. really ready to listen, um, just join the conversation with us, and that really impressed me. The other thing that's impressed me, I was looking at the submissions that we had, you know, with suggestions from our listeners. Mm. And there's a lot of things where where some of the topics I'd seen before, but a lot of the topics I'm thinking, oh, I knew that that topic existed, but I didn't realize that that was something that people would like us to cover. Um, And someone suggested, you know, having a a panel of new and experienced interpreters. I would quite happily have us like a kind of summit style podcast episode. I know that would be insane to edit, but hey, it's not my job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could also moderate it better, you know, saying like, okay. Well, we've already moderated. Three of us have already moderated an an international panel. Which was also an experience. (laughs) Yes. Um, great right. yeah I think this is probably a, a good time to to wrap up uh, with um, a shout out to the audience and if you have ideas for topics uh, and guests keep them coming um, the ones that you've submitted in our little form are duly noted Absolutely. some are very very precise very hands on others are a bit more general like ethics a lot of people were asking about ethics so mm. we're going to have to think about what that could be because I think we've talked about various angles of ethics, like uh, booth manners and social media etiquette and stuff like that. So maybe it's time to upda- update one of those. That's something we'll we'll think about. And um, yeah. It's, What's the most unethical thing you've ever done in an interrupting booth? Yeah, probably. Or outside. The one. manicure comes into mind, the colleague. <laughs> no, yeah. Pe- but... Um, peeling an orange. Right. Which, you know, over Christmas time is actually quite nice because it gives you the Christmas tea smell but um i I was wondering i was thinking well some of the comments were referring to very current you know of the moment um let's say challenges the interpreting space was facing and we've done some quick take things you know remember when the um donald trump interpreter situation happened Yeah. yeah the subpoena so we did a quick take on that so i'm wondering if should we do more quick takes on like actual current stuff? Because I feel like a lot of our episodes are kind of, I don't want to use the word timeless because it seems very, you know, grand for what we're doing, but true though. Like in a sort of diva, timeless. <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, if, so, if anybody wants us to do more quick takes, let us know that because I think there's always fodder for that, but I don't know if, if this is what we do. I like that idea. I'm kind of torn. Yeah, I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, it would be interesting because there's definitely enough to stuff go around. Yeah, the big topics will present themselves. I mean, yeah. the, the yeah. whole Trump thing, that was kind of obvious. We knew yeah. we kind of had to do something on that. So I think when that comes but comes up, we'll do it. We can never forget our remit to deal with the things that keep interpreters up at night. Yeah, that is very true. And I think I have some ideas in ethics, I think. Um, traditionally in ethics, we've talked about it from a certain point of view. I'm aware that my colleagues in sign language interpreting have a very different basis for discussing ethics than I've seen amongst, say, conference interpreters. Mm. And so I could see there being a lot of scope to bring in interpreters from different backgrounds and just have a chat. Mm. Yep. Yeah. We'll do that. But I think in, in general, it's definitely safe to say that we are all looking forward for 2020 to end. Not that 2021 is going to start any different, but you know. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It'll definitely change trajectory throughout the year. 2021 will be the year of the vaccine. Well, yes. Maybe. Hopefully. Yes, no, pretty pretty sure about that. Yeah. But what we should definitely not close the show out without saying is thank you to everyone who still listens to us, who supported (laughs) us, who 
joined us on the podcast, either as guest hosts or as an audience through the live episodes who submitted their responses to the various surveys we've sent out. We couldn't do this show without you. Well, we could, but it would be really bad be less, and boring less fun. and yeah, yeah. <laughs> much less fun. Um, so thank you exactly. very much for that. And we have a lot of cool stuff planned for 2021. Some surprises, some unplanned, still in shenanigans. gestation <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> but yeah, yes, definitely more cool things to come. So stay tuned. Don't don't forget about us in the yes. quiet holiday exactly. holiday period. Yeah, make sure you get some some proper time off uh, to to relax. Um, yeah, and you'll, you'll, the best way to stay up to date is our website, troubletypes.com, our various social media profiles on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and of course, we have a, a, a YouTube channel, which isn't exactly brand new, but I've uh, been filling it up with all the, the old episodes. Uh, our back catalog is now up on our own YouTube channel as well. And uh, I have a Alex. feeling we'll be using it more for live streaming as well. Yes, Alex. Can I say it? Can I say it? I don't know. Like and subscribe. <laughs> yes. Uh, I did I did want to make one final appeal, which is not at all about the troublesome terps. It's um it's about Matya. Um I don't know, some of you may know um Chiara and Francesco Bazzanella. They're two Italian interpreters based here in Brussels. Um freelance interpreters working for the uh, institutions mostly. I first learned about them during their blog, which they started a few years ago. And they posted about a lot about running and, and cooking. And I, the running part was very inspiring. The cooking was was not something I could aspire to do as well as they do. Uh, in any case, um, they gave birth to Matya, a, a brilliant uh, little kid. And um, Matya has a very rare disease. So currently what uh, Chiara and Francesco are doing is uh, running a GoFundMe, a fundraiser, um, to raise money um, for Matya so he, he can beat all the expectations that, that were made and, um, you know, grow up to be a brilliant uh, young boy and young man. So we will have the link in the show notes. And if you can, it would be really great if you could um, give a little bit of money to this fundraising campaign. That's, uh, that's all we ask of you for this holiday. And with that, uh, we're signing off for today and for this year. And we hope to uh, see you soon next year. Take care of yourself, stay safe, stay sane, and bye-bye. Happy holidays, happy new year. See you in the new year. Bye. Bye. Happy new year.